This message was presented at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. We're going to have a beautiful time sharing together about the garden. I'm guessing all of you are interested in agriculture and the garden and gardening and the natural world. And uh, for, the, for the first few sessions here, it's, it's a real honor and it's a privilege for me to share this seminar with Amy Smith. Is she here? Um, Oh, okay. I guess she's trying to stand at the other door to route people here. It's a privilege to share this with her. For these first three seminars, uh, we're going to be specifically talking about the spiritual aspect of the garden and understanding God and knowing Him through the nature that He has created and the beauty that He has created in the natural systems that give us a little picture into His heart. And that is really where my passion lies because, you know, you can go into the garden and it can just be a garden. There are hundreds of people, thousands of people that get into agriculture and that do agriculture that never know the God of agriculture. And my passion is to know God, to know him intimately. And at the foundation for every single one of us in, in gardening, in working with the soil, should be to know his heart, to know who he is. And uh, so we'll be, we'll be talking in these first three set, uh, seminars about the pattern of God, the image of God in the garden, what he is seeking, how he is seeking to reveal himself to us, because I believe there's no better place to learn what it means to love than in the garden. So let's start out with a word of prayer together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I am so small, and there is so much to know about you. Father, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit into this place, that you'd humble our hearts before your throne, that we would see your majesty, that we would come to know you through your created works. Father, we want to know your heart. We want to see you. We want to be drawn to you. We pray that you would be lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen. And I should share as well that, so in these first three seminars, we're going to be going over the spiritual side. In the, la- in the last three seminars, Amy is going to pick it up and talk about um, evangelism in the garden and how g- gardening and agriculture opens up avenues for evangelism to other souls and some practical agriculture um, tips and experience as well. I wanted to start out with with sharing a a quote here from Christ's Object Lessons. It says, In these lessons, direct from nature, there is a simplicity and a purity that makes them of the highest value. All need the teaching to be derived from the source. In itself, the beauty of nature leads the soul away from sin and worldly attractions, and toward purity, peace, and God. Is that your desire? Amen. Amen. Too often, minds of students, how many of you all are students in here? We're all students to a certain degree. Too often, the minds of students are occupied with men's theories and speculations, falsely called science and philosophy. They need to be brought into close contact with nature. Let them learn that creation and Christianity have one God. Let them be taught to see the harmony of the natural with the spiritual. Let everything which their eyes see or their hands handle be made a lesson in character building. Thus the mental powers will be strengthened, the character developed, and the whole life ennobled. That's, that's my desire in a, in a nutshell, to come to know God and see him through his creation. The pattern of God, the image of God in the garden. In Genesis 1, 26 and 28, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air. In the first sentence here, you'll notice that I bolded a couple of these. It says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then what is that right after likeness? 
It's a little colon, right? And what does that mean? It means that the next part after is going to explain some of what he just said, right? Um, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. God created us in his image, in the image of God, but his image has a certain characteristic about it. God, in essence, has a dominion that he is uh, in control over. Can we say that? In fact, his is the greatest dominion. It's the dominion over the whole earth. It's the dominion over the whole universe. And God has, so God has this dominion. He has a seed of dominion that he is ruling over. And he makes man in his image after his likeness to have dominion in a smaller sphere over something in the same way that God has dominion over his sphere in a larger way. Um, where, where is the seat of God's dominion? It's, it's right here. Where's the, where's the seat of God's dominion? On his throne. He has a throne. And just think about it for a little bit. Um, let's just say that this is the throne, okay? Okay. Um, Think about it a little bit. If you have a, a, a ruler that is sitting on his throne, from his throne comes, in essence, a, a, a reflection of who he is, does it not? Because from the throne comes his um, decisions, the decisions that he makes, the judgments that he makes come from his throne, from his seat of dominion. If he is a cruel ruler, basically from his throne comes cruelty, right? Or if he is a loving ruler, the decisions that he makes, think of it like um, Jesus coming before Pilate. He came before the judgment seat. Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat of dominion, and the decisions that were made were basically an expression of his character, of who he was. Does that make sense? Are you all tracking with me? So God has a throne. He has a seat of dominion that he is ruling from. God is ruling from his throne, and out from his throne comes an expression of who he is. Now, we all have th this. Um, every, everyone knows that God is love. This is, this is maybe kind of the bottom line. Uh, if you summed it down to the very bottom line, we would all say, what, who, who is God? And we'd say, God is love. But what does, what does that really mean? How, how do you know what love is? How do you know what love means? For instance, if I came, you know, if I came down to you and I said, you know, I love you. How, how do you know what that means? Okay, so he said, yeah, I assume it by the way you present yourself to me. Um, but does it have any heart connection? I mean, is there any reality going beyond that? Um, just in our little interaction, maybe. But then, you know, what if, what if I instead came and put a gun to your head and said, love me? You know, what, what is encapsulated in love? It's a, little bit, it's a little bit hard to actually define what love is just by itself. What is love? I mean, we have 1 Corinthians 13 where it says love is uh, patient, it's kind. You know, it goes into a whole description. But when it comes down to it, love has to connect with a heart. Love is more than just a description. Love is a relationship. It's a relationship um, between two people. And so God is love, but what does that mean? How do we know what his pattern is? How do we know who he is, what it means that God is love? And we're going to tie this all back into the garden, just in case you're wondering. How do we know what it means that God is love? So God has this job of not only saying, I'm love, but of expressing it and showing you somehow that he really is love. Showing us what that means. And so when it comes down to it, the Bible, it, um, I don't know how many of you have noticed, but much of the Bible is in pictures and stories and what you call motifs. Have you all noticed that? A lot of the Bible is in these stories and these pictures and these motifs. Think about it. This is a really simple illustration, but think about it. Um, if, I, if there was this little, tiny, cute puppy dog that was here, and um, all of us have this inner reaction 
to a little cute puppy dog. Can you relate? It's just like this little overflow of love for it, and you want to pick it up, and you want to cuddle it, and you want to, uh, you, you want to love on it, right? But it's hard to put into words. You know, if, you're going, if, if I went to my fiance Natasha and um, was going to try and tell her you know, what I felt for this little puppy dog, it's kind of hard to put into words. Can you relate? This is, this is God's dilemma. How do you put into words love? How do you express love? How do you know what love is? Um, and so we come down to the pattern. The pattern. God has created a pattern. In fact, he says to make his sanctuary after the pattern. We're going to go through this really quickly um, because we don't have a lot of time, and I want to get back. I want to get down to the gardening and and nature aspect of this. In Hebrews um, eight verse five, it says, "We who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things what according to the pattern shown thee in the mount." Now, so God has a, what was, what was Moses making? A tabernacle, a sanctuary. What is in the sanctuary? There's a lot of things in the sanctuary, but there's the presence of God. Ultimately, what is the centerpiece of the sanctuary? The throne of God. The throne of God. This is where God rules from. This is God's house. This is where he comes to dwell, the centerpiece of the sanctuary. And God says, make it after the pattern that you have seen. Um, we're going to go a little bit into the sanctuary. And from the sanctuary, we're going to come back to the garden. And you'll see how it connects here in just a second. Um, but to start out with, we're talking about God is love. And what does that mean? What does it mean? In Psalm 77, verse 13, this may be a familiar verse to a lot of you. It says, Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Do you know what, do you know what that word for way is? Um, here's, here's the Hebrew word for the day. The way. Derek. Is there any, are there any Derek's in here? No Derek's. Um, I know somebody by the name of Derek. Derek is actually the Hebrew word for way. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. And it means the road, way, path, journey, direction, manner, habit, way, course of life, or moral character. God's way, his habit, his way, his course of life, his moral character, his love is seen through the sanctuary. God's way is seen through the sanctuary. How, how, do we, how do we see it? Remember, we were talking about how from his throne, which is the center of the sanctuary, right, comes an expression of who he is, his way, his habit, his course of life, his moral character. And um, just, we're going to go through real quickly. I've compiled just a, a list of verses that, that touch on that same word, that way, just to give us a, just to give us a heart understanding of what what it's talking about when it talks about God's way is in the sanctuary. Um, in Genesis 6, it says, All flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Abraham will command his children, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. Show me now thy way that I may know thee, says Moses. That was his plea to God, actually right before he asked him to show him his glory. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in him. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. See if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and holy in all his works. Go to the ant, thou sluggard, and consider her way, and be wise. Forsake the foolish and live and go into the way of understanding. The way of the Lord is strength unto the upright, but destruction shall be to the workers of iniquity. This is a familiar one. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. My son, give me thine heart and let, me, let thine eyes observe my ways. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the way and see, and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, 
and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. Let us search and try our ways and turn again to the Lord. Go to the mountain of the Lord to learn his ways and walk in his paths. Does that give you just a little bit of a, just kind of an understanding and knowing of what he's talking about the way, his course of life, his manner, his action. And especially this last one here, Micah, it says, go to the mountain of the Lord to learn of the ways. The mountain of the Lord is his sanctuary. His sanctuary is seated on the mountain of the Lord. That's his seat of authority. Go to learn of his ways. So in the Old Testament, um, if you go through the Old Testament, there is this, this pattern comes up over and over. Uh, you have Moses, you have prophets that see a vision of God, and they see him sitting on his throne in his sanctuary. Um, it says, and let them make me a, a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to that I've shown them. after the pattern. There's a specific pattern. God said, Moses, you have to make it according to what you have seen of me. Um, David sees it. Uh, David gives the, the pattern to Solomon, his son, um, of the upper chambers thereof and the inner parlors thereof and of the place of the mercy seat and the pattern of all that he had by the Spirit. Uh, David passes on to his son. Um, Micaiah um, is a prophet in the Old Testament as well. And um, he sees the Lord sitting high and lifted up. Again, he says, therefore, her, uh, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting upon his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing in his right hand and on his left. Remember, this pattern is a pattern of where God's throne is. But it's not just that. It's a pattern of who he is, because out of his throne comes an expression of who he is. It's a pattern of love. Isaiah sees it. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Ezekiel sees it. And he says, Thou son of man, show the house to the house of Israel that they may be ashamed of their iniquities and let them measure the pattern. Real quickly, the sanctuary, the sanctuary is a pattern of what? The plan of salvation. It's a pattern of who God is. It's a pattern of his throne. And... What, what, what is God's way? What is God's way? Because we see his way in his sanctuary, do we not? His manner, his course of life. What is his way? Love. God's way is love, and the sanctuary is a pattern of love. I mean, imagine, imagine this real quick, because Ezekiel is told here, and this is kind of a funny verse. It says, Thou son of man, show the house to the house of Israel that they may be ashamed of their iniquities and let them measure the pattern. So here's Ezekiel, and he sees the sanctuary, and literally he gets this rod, or he watches the angel go with the rod, and he measures out the sanctuary. And imagine if someone came down to you and said, you know, da-da-da-da-da, here is the, here is the, um, the pattern, here are the measurements, and you're like cut to the heart, you know? Um, convicted of your sin. It's, it's kind of a, f- a funny illustration because, you know, just getting the measurements, how do you just have the measurements of the sanctuary convict you of sin? Unless your heart is that sanctuary. Unless your heart is that sanctuary and it's not lining up to the pattern. Our hearts are the sanctuary of God. And Ezekiel is sent to measure the pattern and to convict our hearts of sin. What is God's way? It's the pattern of of love. Seeing God's way from his throne. I'm not going to go, um, I don't, what time is it? I don't believe I have time to actually go and read it, but in Ezekiel chapter 47, um, there's a picture given that he sees of God's throne. Um, And so I'll I'll go ahead and just describe it for you. In Ezekiel chapter 47, he sees God. um, Actually, he sees the tabernacle. He sees the sanctuary where God's throne is. And as he comes out of the sanctuary... He sees a river of water that is coming from beneath 
the sanctuary and flowing out. So imagine this is the throne. This is the sanctuary of where God is. And out from it is flowing this river of water. And it says that the river of water goes out into the desert and then off into the sea. And it's a river of water that brings healing. And on either side of the river of water, there are trees growing. And on these trees are growing fruit. And the fruit is, um, is for food, and the leaves are for medicine. Does this remind you of anything? And in the, in the river of water, there's an abundance of fish because it's, it's bringing healing to the life that is there. Um, it, when, when, I was, when I was reading this, I was, it was just awestruck to me to think of God's throne and immediately I thought of Revelation. How many of you thought of Revelation when I was describing this? Because in Revelation 21, it talks about God sitting on his throne. And out from his throne it comes a what? A, a river of life. And on either side of the river of life is standing what? The tree of life with the fruit that is hanging on the tree of life. And it says that the leaves are for the healing of the nations. A tree of life standing on either side of God's throne, uh, of the river of life that's flowing out from it. Now... Uh, let me ask you, these two pictures of God's throne, because this is God's sanctuary. Remember, God's sanctuary is where his throne is. This is where he is seated. And out from it is flowing this river of life with trees of life. Now, what, what does that remind Does that remind you of anything else in the, in the Bible? Psalm 1. <laughs> Psalm 1. It's a beautiful one. Um, in fact, we're going to go over that later. I don't know if it's in this presentation, but next one. Any, anywhere else in the Bible that you see a river and a tree of life? In Genesis 1, in the Garden of Eden, you go back to the very beginning and God made man in his own image to have dominion over a garden. And there was a river and there was a tree of life. And in the very beginning, God had a picture of his sanctuary right there for Adam and Eve. In the garden. So remember that man was created in the image of God to have dominion over his sphere of influence, like God has dominion over his larger sphere of influence. And so, in the same way that God exercises his dominion in in his larger um, sphere of influence, um, we are created to to exercise a dominion in our in our smaller sphere of influence. Are we tracking together? Um, and out from God's throne, from where he is, his seat of dominion, is flowing a river of life, going out, spreading life. Um, God, and so, I mean, literally, we can say that out from God's throne is flowing a garden. Out from his throne is flowing literally a garden. It's a, it's a river of life that is causing trees to grow. And if you have trees, there's got to be other vegetation there as well. Can we say that? Out, out from his throne is flowing this garden. God, from his seat of dominion, is flowing a garden of life. And God places man in the Garden of Eden to keep it so that out from our hearts, from our seat of dominion would flow a garden, would flow a garden. So remember that, remember that out from God's throne flows an expression of who he is, flows an expression of his love, his manner, his habit, his course of life, his moral character. Um, and uh, this picture of God's throne and the river of life coming out from his throne with the tree of life on either side to us is a picture of who he is. It's not just, it's not just that God has this throne in a sanctuary with a river of life coming out of it, but it's giving us a picture of who he is as our God, a pattern of love. Um, in Romans 1, 19 and 20, it talks about how the invisible things of God are seen through his creation, right? God from his throne, is giving us a picture of who he is and his pattern of love. 
I don't know how many of you knew, uh, recognized this before, but when, when, I, when I saw this, I thought it was just incredibly beautiful because whenever I think of the sanctuary, one of the first things that comes into my mind, and maybe this is the same with a lot of you, is the little tabernacle in the, the wilderness. You guys think of that? And when I think of that, I think of a desert, you know, and then there's this little tabernacle and it's got God's, um, God's throne there. But when it comes down to it, the heavenly pattern of the sanctuary, part of the sanctuary, flowing out of the sanctuary, is literally a garden. Is literally a garden, a river of life with trees of life. Nature itself gives us a glimpse into the mind and the heart of God. Um, so we're going to go through four landmarks of God's dominion, of his love. How does he rule from his throne and how are we to reflect that in our own lives? Um, and we'll see this in, in nature. Number one is life-giving. God, from God's throne comes a river of what? A river of life. God is a life-giving God. From him comes a river of life. And... Um, so we'll, we'll go over three different aspects here. First of all, the natural world. In the natural world, life is a mystery that science can't explain. You can put all of the little components together, but there's a spark of life that we can't, we can't explain. We can't reproduce it. There's nothing that can, uh, science itself can't make life happen. Life itself is a mystery that science can't explain. And yet everything in nature lives to give at the same time. It, for instance, um, you have a tomato plant, and it grows, and it, it produces tomatoes, but it produces way more tomatoes than it needs to just reproduce itself and grow more tomatoes. It's, it lives to give, so those tomatoes end up being food for you and for me and for other animals. Um, trees live, and they give off oxygen for other things. Everything in nature is, is living to give, to give to others. Um, but perhaps the most significant thing here is that in the natural world, even if, even if there was something that in its life wasn't giving out to something else, when, that, when, when whatever it is in the natural world dies, it becomes life for something else. And it's such a, such a fundamental principle of the garden. You know, we have the compost pile, right? Where we, we put our scraps, everything in nature lives to give. And if it doesn't give, which I, I, haven't, I haven't thought of anything that doesn't give in its life somehow, but even if it didn't, when it dies, it gives life for something, for something else, for someone else. Um, we serve a life-giving God. From his throne comes a river of life. Um, in the written word, God breathes into man the breath of life. He's abundant. We should be... Uh, let's look this up. Psalms 36, 7 through 10, because I just put a little... Um, a little brief thing there, but this is so beautiful. Psalms 36, 7 through 10. Psalms 36, verses 7 through 10. It says, How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God! Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house. And thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light we see light. O continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee, and thy righteousness to the upright in heart. Isn't that a beautiful picture? With God is a fountain of life that is coming out. I want to be inside that fountain of life. I want to be inside that river of life that's flowing from God's throne. And then we have the life of Jesus. In Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And God was talking about his spirit here. Um, right after that verse, it says, and he, and he was speaking unto them of the spirit that he had not yet poured out. Imagine a river of life flowing out from you, the spirit of God flowing through you to those around you and giving life to those around you. Um, it says, and I, ca I, came, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. 
God is sitting on his throne, and he is a God that is life-giving. From his throne is flowing this river of life. But it's not just, it's not just God who is life-giving. He is a pattern for who? For us. What is our hearts? There's a lot, a lot of things. Maybe it's a little bit of a trick question for you. Um, but what we're talking about here, we, are we not the sanctuary of God? Is it not written that ye are, ye are the temple of the Holy Ghost? Then where is God's throne? It should be in our hearts, is it not? It should be in our hearts. And what should be flowing out from his throne? A river of life. A water of life to those around us. Giving life to those around us. A tree of life that brings healing. Jesus said, I'm come to, that you might have life, that you might have it more abundantly. Drink from him. And God's spirit is a water, a fountain of life that should be bubbling up in our souls and spreading out to those around us. That's landmark number one. God is a God that is life-giving. Number two, relational. When you work in the garden, you realize that everything that has been created is, is in relationship to everything else. Um, whether it's inanimate or animate, everything is in relationship to something else in some way. Um, have you guys seen that? For, I mean, you know, even, even, if it's, even if it's just stationary, you know, a, a stone that is in, in the garden, it's, it's in a relationship to your plant somehow, and you might want to actually move the stone out of the way, right? So everything in, in, in creation is in relationship um, to something else, even down to electrons that are in relationship with protons. You have planets that are in relationship to the sun. You have complex ecosystems and symbiotic relationships between plants and animals. Have, have any of you all studied soil science? Alan Seiler. <laughs> I love it. Um, I, love, I love soil science, and if you haven't studied it, you should go and study it. There's incredible things that happen in the soil that are beyond uh, what we can even understand. Um, there's plants that literally create symbiotic relationships with bacteria and fungi in the soil. They have pictures. Do any of you know what a nematode is? Okay, we got a few of you. I got a few of you. Um, nematodes. Sometimes people think of them as bad things. There's actually good ones. It's little tiny microorganisms that are in the soil. There are bad ones that come in and they will attack plants' roots and um, infect them. And it's a disease. Um, so, but they have pictures of plants. They ha they'll have a picture like of a tomato root with a nematode attacking it and you know entering into it. Uh, a bad nematode. And and then they have another picture of another tomato root that has created a symbiotic relationship with a fungus, and the fungus is strangling the nematode that is trying to attack it. I don't know about you, but that, 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 just, that just wows me. That down beneath the earth, stuff that we can't even see, there's these incredible symbiotic relationships. Okay, I got off on a little tangent there. But it's just going into that everything in nature is created in relationship. Um, and... And um, another, another example of that is just the theory that, you know, if a butterfly flaps its rings in South, South America or China or whatever, in some little tiny way, it has an effect on our weather here in America. You all have heard that, um, that theory. Everything in the world is in relationship to something else. And God is in relationship as well. He is a relational God. He isn't a God that just sits there by himself. Um, and every, everything that God has created is in relationship, and his creation is a glimpse into who he is. Think about it for a moment. In the beginning, God spoke. And what happened? And it was. It was created. In fact, in Hebrews, it says that things were created out of nothing. Absolutely nothing. In the beginning, God's word, by the word, of the, uh, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the hosts of them, God spoke and it was. And from what was created, we can catch a little glimpse into God's mind because in essence, it is literally a product of God's thoughts. Literally, God thought and he spoke 
And it was, and he created the creation that surrounds us. And so when you go out into the garden, when you go out into nature, you're literally catching a glimpse into who God is. It's like a painting that a painter paints. And from the painting, you can catch a little glimpse of the character of that painter, right? Um, nature is, is, has, has been given to us as a pattern to, to understand, to see who he is. Going on to the written word of God as, as relational, we have known and believed that the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Can love be by itself? No. Love is relational. It has to be between two people. And, um, and in fact, it has to be given and what? Received. You know, I have the, the, such a privilege and the, the honor and the love of being able to pursue the heart of Natasha. And it's been such, a, such an incredibly special experience. God created in men, uh, uh, I don't know what you would call it, a, a passion to, to pursue the heart of a woman. And it's a beautiful thing and the love that flows out from it. But if Natasha did not receive my love, if I poured it out to her and she did not receive it, would there be a relationship? No, because love requires receiving and taking. It requires a relationship between two people. And God is love. Um, Going on to Jesus, it says, Jesus came to reconcile us to God in 2 Corinthians and to give us the ministry of reconciliation. And in John 17, in his prayer, he says, I and them and thou and me that they might be one as we are one. Jesus came literally to reconcile our hearts with God, to bring us back into one with him. He is a God of relationships, wants to draw us together. So what was the first, the first landmark? Out from God's throne is what? flowing a river of life. He is a life-giving God. And secondly, he is what? A relational God. He's not just by himself. He's in relationship to you and to me. In fact, in the Garden of Eden, he literally was walking and talking with Adam and Eve, was he not? And even after the fall, he has maintained his relationship to humanity. Okay, number three is... Law and order. God is a God of law and order. Now, sometimes when, you, when we think of law, we, we get a negative connotation in our mind. Um, and actually, I have a little pet peeve on this one because there's, there's the illustration. How many of you have heard of the illustration that law is there to protect you? It's like the fence, you know, around, the, like, you know, I'm coming up to the cliff and there's a fence that's around here to protect me, to keep me in. Have you all heard that illustration? Mm-hmm. I have a little pet peeve with that illustration. Um, I, it's true to a certain extent. It's true that the fence is there to protect us. And that, that is a beautiful thing in and of itself. I don't want to just you know, throw away the illustration. But I have a little pet peeve with the illustration because law is there for more than just protection. God has given us law to give us life. And to show us what is life. All of the relationships in nature are governed by laws. And if natural laws didn't function, imagine the chaos that would exist in this world. I mean, uh, the, the standard law that, we, that many people would think about is the law of gravity. You know, if gravity wasn't there, you know, the chaos that would exist, we would all, you know, fly off into who knows where. But when it, I mean, when it comes down to your garden, God has given natural laws and these laws, what if you went out to the garden and you decided that instead of, uh, you're like, I don't, why would I, why would I put water on my plants? I want to instead put diesel on them. You know, how, how quickly would you learn that it didn't work? It's a fundamental law, isn't it? That if you, that, that in nature, if you, plant, if you put diesel on your plants, they're going to die. There's a fundamental law there. And it's not, that law isn't just there um, for no reason. But what, what does that law tell you? It tells you order. 
and it tells you that that law is a definition of what is going to allow that plant to thrive, right? What is going to give that plant life? Everything in nature, all, all of the little organisms in nature have a certain environment where they thrive the most. And it can be a little different for different ones. Um, but these laws give a, a pinpointed description of what gives life. What gives life? What is in the river of life? What brings healing? And ultimately, when it comes down to it, what is love? Without law, there is chaos. Um, and, and think about this as well. Um, there, is a, there is a way, going back to way, God's habit, his, his, his character, his, his way, um, there is a way that develops and deepens a relationship like I was talking about with my relationship with Natasha. There's a way that develops and deepens a relationship, and that way is a law. Could we say that? That way is a law. If you, if you, if you step out of that, what happens? Relationships begin to disintegrate. That way is a law. Outside of it, relationships break down. And so law, in essence, is specifically given, the, given to govern our relationships, to, to show us in our relationships what is it that gives life to someone else? What is it that blesses someone else? What is it that brings healing to someone else? God is a God of relationships. He's a God of law and order. In Psalms, it says, The, the law of the Lord is perfect, more to be desired than gold and sweeter than honey. The law of the wise is a fountain of life. To, to depart from the snares of death. Right there, the, the law is a fountain of life, showing what gives life. And my mom was talking about Psalms 1, where it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the God, ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. And his leaf also shall not wither, wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Is your delight in the law of God, in his way, in his character of who he is? And then of Jesus, it says, And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Enter in at the straight gate, for wide is the way that leads to death. But straight and narrow is the way of life, and few there be that find it. God has a way, and it's a straight and narrow way, and that way is a law. We are either in, you're either in the way or you're what? Out of the way. God has a way, and it's a law, but it's not just that. It is the way of life. It is the way of this river of life that is flowing out from God's throne that is blessing and giving healing. And number four is fruit. The goal and the purpose of God's dominion, of his, the, um, of his, of his ruling, is fruit. Um, all of all of the relationships in nature are governed by laws. Okay, I missed, I mixed up that slide. That one is supposed to go on the earlier one. Um, the goal of the garden is fruit. Really, the goal and the purpose of life, and the goal and purpose of relationships, the goal and the purpose of law is to bear fruit in some way. When you go out and you plant your garden, what is your purpose for the garden? It's a fruit, right? You want to take the fruit from your garden and, and eat it. So you, literally, when you go out and you cultivate the ground and you plant your seeds, you're doing it for the purpose of fruit in the end. Um, and this is the goal and the purpose of God's dominion from his throne is to bear fruit. And that, th that, that fruit may multiply. In fact, you know, in Genesis, it, he even tells Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Um, every, every, life forms, every life form that we have in the world has a purpose and a goal of bearing fruit. It's a fundamental pattern of God. And, and it actually, it creates this little cycle where we have the gardener that invests his life and his time into growing the garden, and then he receives the fruit back from it, 
and he is nourished from the fruit and can put that energy back into the garden. You have this, a cycle of, of fruit bearing. In, in the Bible, it says, like I said in Genesis, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Um, and in Psalms 1, it talks about the tree. He shall be like a tree, bringing forth its fruit in his, in his season. Um, in John 15, Jesus talks about branches that don't bear fruit. God takes away and he prunes those that do so they might bring forth more fruit. And that God is glorified in the bringing forth of fruit. How many of you know the three angels' messages? What does it say? What's the first words? Fear God. And the next one? And give glory to him. You know, I, for a while, I, I had thought, you know, what does it mean to give glory to God? What does it mean to give glory to God? And as I was preparing this, um, I came across this verse, and it just struck me. God is glorified in our bearing much fruit. God's purpose for us is to bear fruit, to fill us with his life and to bear fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. And in Jesus, it says, He that abides in Christ bears much fruit. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it. God's purpose is for us to bear fruit. And as we wrap up here, uh, remember that we're talking about God's dominion. I want to know God. I want to know who he is. I want to know how he influences everything that is in his influence, in his sphere of life. And, and in just this little picture, we, we got a picture of through nature and through, through agriculture and through a picture of his sanctuary of how God is a God that is life-giving. From his throne is flowing this, this river of life that goes out to nourish and to bless everything in his influence, in his sphere of influence. And, and in that, there is, um, he is relational, relating with those that he has created. Um, and from that, he, go, he goes out, and there is law and order. There is a way that is the way of life, and there's a way that leads to death. And the purpose is to be fruitful and to multiply. So as we wrap up here, just real quick, when we hear the word dominion, some of us, and, and maybe even some of you in here, uh, one of your first thoughts might have been like a negative connotation to the word dominion. Because sometimes when we think of dominion, we think of this, this authority that is sitting there and he's having dominion and it's, it's kind of like a stern um, dominion. I don't know how many of you relate to that. Um, but we can have that, that thing. But what we're talking about here is, is God's dominion. And it's, it's his seat of authority. It's his rulership. And we just went over a little picture of, of who, how his rulership is, is. And so I'll just contrast dominion uh, for, for our sakes and what we're talking about here versus domination or what you would consider domination. Um, what is God's dominion, godly dominion? His dominion really is love. He is a God of love. And godly dominion lives to give. It lives to share. It's a channel of blessing flowing out to all in its sphere of influence, nourishing and cherishing everything that it comes into contact with versus what we would consider domination, which ultimately is self. It's, it's a, a domination lives to grasp, to take in, siphoning, grasping life from those within its sphere of influence, demanding and extracting joy and life from everything that it comes into contact with. I long for my life to be this picture, a life that lives to give, a channel of blessing that flows out, blessing all that's in my sphere of influence, nourishing and cherishing everything that it comes into contact with. Is that your desire? I want Jesus to work his life in and through me, to fill my heart with his spirit, that it would be a, a, a fountain of life flowing out to everyone that I come in contact with. 
And you know, one of the best places to learn that is in the garden. We're going to get, this is, this is just, this is just the beginning. This is just the tip of the iceberg, but we're going to get, we're going to jump into, um, the, the next session we'll be talking about, um, the pattern to the third power, just expanding on it. And then the third session, we'll be talking about practicing the pattern because literally, just think about it. When you are putting your hands in the earth, when you, when you grow a garden, our goal is to nourish and cherish that garden, to give it the best opportunity to thrive so that it will bear us fruit, right? And so here we are literally acting out a picture of what God longs to create in our hearts to those around us. That we would learn how to treat others and to cultivate other people's hearts in the, exact, in the same way that we are cultivating the plants that are in our garden. I want God's love planted in my heart. Let's pray together, and then we'll take a short break, um, and then we'll come back for the second presentation. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would fill this place with your spirit. Father, I long for my heart to be in your channel of life, in your river of life, that your life would flow through my heart to those that are in my sphere of influence. Teach me how to nourish and cherish not just a garden, and plants, but other people's hearts, to know how to truly love like you love. Father, we need you so much. Please come and move on this place. Bless as we take a short break, and as we come back together, and guide us in your way, we pray. In Jesus' name. This message was recorded at the GYC 2014 conference at The Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.